Thank you. And now I'd like to introduce my uh, co-chairman, uh, the person with, I start to say co-host, uh, co-chairman who's got the saddest story I've ever heard, <laughs> Phyllis C. from Paso Robles. Thank you very much. I am Phyllis C. from Paso Robles, and I'm grateful that I know that I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Phyllis. Isn't it amazing with a sad story like mine that I can be so happy? That's what Alcoholics Anonymous does for you. Uh, it's a privilege to be here tonight. I see that we have all the people in here that were probably the late bar people, too. <laughs> I always wanted to be the last one and get, you know, be there. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Frank and I have uh, divided the time down and... Uh, he has his speakers, and I have mine. And uh, I threatened to kill him if he called on one of mine. Uh, I want to um, bring somebody up to the podium that's very special to me. Uh, he's my lover, my best friend, and my husband of 18 years, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, Johnny C. <laughs> My name is Johnny. I'm a grateful alcoholic. Hi, Johnny. Glad to be here. And, uh, sure, nice to be somebody's favorite for 18, 19, 20 years. You know, that's a guess. And because uh, I was never anybody's favorite, not even my own, when I got here. I, uh, I uh, want to say welcome to the newcomers. I don't, I don't know if there's any newcomers here. Is there anybody here with less than 30 days? Alright. Welcome to you and uh, we love you and uh, I hope you'll stay here with us. Uh, I found out uh, some magnificent things in this program. Looking out there tonight, you know, I used to think all them girls got pretty around closing time and uh, it sure is true around Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. You sure all look pretty out there tonight. I uh, came here a hopeless, helpless alcoholic, and uh, somebody talked to me when I was brand new out there, and uh, in fact, they came, uh, they did a little more than that. They came into an institution I was at at the time, and they talked to me, and uh, I used to look out at them pretty ladies and uh, them Cadillacs in the parking lot and uh, uh, I wanted what you had, you know, and I, I didn't know I had to go to an awful lot of lengths to get it. <laughs> I'm still driving, I'm driving a 79 Dodge today. <laughs> but I got a lot of the other things you had and uh, if you're new here or near new and uh, I, you know, I, I always say, my sponsor used to say, I don't care if you've been here 10 years, if you haven't worked the steps of this program, as far as I'm concerned, you're new, baby. And I believe that today because I believe it's all there in the steps and in the book, you know. And uh, 
I come here uh, right away and I found out that uh, I had to get a hold of a power that was greater than myself because I had a disease that only a spiritual answer would cure. And uh, I didn't want to do that because I thought I was going to have to give up a lot of things. I thought I was going to have to trade off some of the nasty little habits that I had, you know, that were... uh, I didn't really consider them defects of character, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, if I did, I had to get rid of them, right? And uh, so I, I wanted to live with them. But I found out by uh, trial and error that uh, one day at a time that everything that I had ever give up to that uh, that power, and today I call him God, and I love him very much, and I, I know he must love me very much because uh, I'm here, you know, I ain't out there. And I, you know, another thing I found out right away was that uh, uh, none of us, you know, there isn't a hundred of us would get together and sit down and write down steps for, 12 steps for people that were coming to this program that were very hard to do. And I always remind people of that, and I remind myself of that, that uh, there isn't uh, isn't any of those steps that are hard to do. Sometimes, you know, this is a a simple program for complicated people, you know. It's not a complicated program for simple. You know, it's uh, we complicate it, right? And uh, I've... uh, found that uh, those essentials that the book talks about uh, in my life uh, are the things that help me to love you, you know, to clean house, to trust in God, and to work with another alcoholic. And I've never found that to fail, you know. And uh, it's, uh, it's helped me to learn some some real values around here. Uh, one that... Uh, that you uh, that you love me, you know you've loved me in all kinds of conditions in this program, uh, sober and crazy and sober and insane and and uh, doing you know sober and clean, but uh, out of my mind, you know, and uh, uh, you've kept on loving me, and I I one of the greatest things I found out is uh, it isn't too important. Uh, how much you love me, but God, it's important how much I love you, you know. And uh, I found out, uh, okay, Frank, I found out uh, also that, uh, you know, I always, I had 4,000 hours of therapy when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, and and none of it worked up to that point because, uh, uh, Jesus, you know, all I mean, all kinds of therapies too. You know, and uh, uh, after I got a hold of this program, they all started coming together. You know, I was always trying to find out who I was, and uh, you know, today that's not important. It's, it's a lot more important to 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 know what I am. You know, rather than who I am. Who I am isn't too important today, but what I am is very important. And, I love this program very much and uh, love the newcomer, love the old-timer, and uh, most of all, I just love and respect this lady right here very, very much, you know, who's uh, 
as a result of this program for 19 years. She's put up with a lot of my uh, BS. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I love you. sister, Sharon. My name's Sharon, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Sharon. This roundup has a lot of meaning to me. I was sitting down there thinking about what it was like ten years ago right now. Ten years ago right now, I was dying of alcoholism, and I didn't know that I didn't have to. And I didn't know that it was going to be possible not to. And uh, y'all were down here at the Roundup. My father had found Alcoholics Anonymous on April the 7th of that year, and he had tried to 12-step me, and I couldn't hear, and I didn't want to hear. I just wanted him to leave so I could have another drink because I was shaking a hangover out. And the only thing that would make that any better was to get another drink. And he kept talking with this big book, and I couldn't hear, and I wanted him to leave, and he finally did. And he gave up. He came down here to the Roundup that year, 1973. And uh, another member of the big book group asked him, he said, Bill, how's your daughter doing? And he was disgusted. He said, oh, she's clothed in that apartment with that baby, and she's dying. And the man said to him, when you go home, Bill, tell her we love her and we're waiting for her. My father didn't bring me that message, but my mother did. And by that point in my life, there was nobody left but the two parents who had released me with love and the two-year-old baby that lived in my home. The only thing that I was living for, hanging on for at that point. My mother brought me that message. I had no friends. I had nothing. And I got myself together as best I could in my finest red mini skirt and my black lace-up boots. All of this on top of 160 pounds of alcohol bloat. And I set out for the big book group in Bellflower to see who this last vestige of hope was, who could send word that he loved me and that they were waiting for me. And uh, I got up to the big book group that night, and I met Tom H. And he welcomed me to the big book group. And I was to learn from that point on that what I had considered love to that point in my life was not love at all. I was to come to learn a new way of life and a new way of love that far surpassed any drunken dreams I ever had. Because what you offered me here was not only life without alcohol, but was hope. A new kind of love that didn't have strings attached to it. I had lived a life that was full of shame and degradation and remorse up until that point. I had drunk every day for 13 years. And you offered me a way to live here that didn't mean I had to look at the floor anymore. You taught me that I could walk into a room and hold my head high, that I could live a new way sober where there was no more shame and no more guilt and no more degradation. It was going to take some work and it was going to take some practice and you had to teach me how from scratch. But I came to you completely empty and so sure I was going to die. You had something here that I wanted and I didn't believe there was any way I was ever going to have it. And yet a day at a time you walked with me and you shared with me and you loved me. And like Johnny said, it didn't matter what I was going through at the time or how crazy I got or the things that I did or how self-willed I was. You just kept loving me.
And I came to find out about the mosaic here that we learn about that is our life and how the pieces go together. And when my life hit the wall about four years ago and the floor fell out from underneath me in sobriety, you were all there and you held out your arms and there wasn't one of you that said to me, we told you so or we knew this was going to happen. You said, we love you and how can we help? What can we do? And I got a whole new family. You know, our book talks about ego deflation at depth. And I went through that in my sixth year, at my sixth birthday, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you were all there. And you just loved me. And you held on to me tight. And you did everything that was necessary to do to keep me sober. It was like the feeling I had at the time was like falling into arms of cotton because there were no fingers pointed. Nobody said, we told you so. You just said, what can we do to help? And that's how I got Frank as a big brother, and that's how I got Wes F. up in Bakersfield as the finest dad I've ever known. You've just always been there for me, and I hope I can always be there for you. And by the grace of God and this program and you people, in five weeks, the absolute impossible will be a day at a time. I'll celebrate my 10th birthday. And when I came in here, there was no way I was going to make 10 months. This program works if we allow it to work in our lives. I was one of the ones that had to be brought to my knees to be humbled, to be willing to do it your way. And I was, and it works, because I'm willing to go to any lengths. I believe with all my heart we have to give it away to keep it. And the last thing I wanted to do tonight was to come into this room and share when Frank asked me to, but I made a promise. In my 13th month of sobriety, I was dying in a hospital from surgery. And I promised my God that having thrown away so many years of my life, that if I was allowed to live, I would always do what I was asked in Alcoholics Anonymous from that day forward. And I hope to God I always can. I want to thank you so very much for my life and for always being here for me. If you ever need me, just pull on me. I'm there. Thank you. I was going to try to run this boy and a girl, but I forgot he was calling on people. So I'm going to maybe run it a girl and a girl. I don't know. I'd like um, Beverly D. from Chatworth to chair with us. Hi, everyone. My name is Beverly Douglas, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, Beverly. Oh, boy. I uh, Just to share a little bit of what it used to be like for me, I had started drinking when I was 13. And by the time I was 16, I was a blackout drinker. And I was pregnant and married in that order. Now, in those days, nice girls didn't get pregnant first. Today it seems to be the going thing. But you have to remember that I said I was a blackout drinker, you know, and I was almost four months pregnant before I even knew I'd been had. (laughs) I've since learned what caused it, and I've made up for it, believe me. (laughs) I, um, I did marry the man, and later on when I got the divorce, which was bound to have happened, 
I did what we in Alcoholics Anonymous call geographic. In better known circles, that's called unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. <laughs> there was some little slips of papers out with loan companies and um, that he had had me sign while we were married. And when we separated, he told them that he was giving me all the money, so they came after me. And, of course, I wasn't getting any of it. But they followed me out here to California. And by the time I was 24, uh, I had done it again. I had married again. And uh, that one didn't last too long. You see, he didn't drink, and I couldn't keep him around. Um, I was deeply in trouble with alcohol by that time. And uh, by the time I was 32, um, I was into my third husband. And as you can hear, you know, I had a problem other than alcohol. Um, I think most of us do, you know. Um, bad breath and a broken heart, booze and sex, you know. Um, you know, we've all heard it around here, you know, where behind every slip there's a skirt, hot tit. Uh, don't laugh, honey. Behind every zipper there's a, every slipper there's a zipper too, you know. It goes two ways, Just two ways. Now, I, um, uh, I was even in deeper trouble by this time, and uh, I spent six months in a mental institution at the age of 32 into this third marriage of mine. You know, for some reason, I couldn't seem, I didn't know the difference between being in heat and being in love, really. <laughs> what, uh, that's what it was all about. But I ended up in a, in a mental institution for six months, and uh, I was having alcoholic DTs and alcoholic convulsions, and they had me listed as a manic depressive. Uh, now, they didn't call it DTs and convulsions. Uh, they called it a nervous breakdown and um, epileptic seizures is what they called it. And I didn't know any better. You know, they were the doctors. Uh, and I'd like to tell you that, you know, I came out of it at that point, but I didn't. You see, I was to drink another three years after that. And I finally got to you people from drinking from the age of 13. I got to you when I was 35. Um, I, um, I had drank myself into a living hell, of which there was no way out, absolutely no way out. Uh, I, I, I came to you people... And I found, and we hear it read uh, in every meeting in Chapter 5, that there is one path. I don't care what anybody tells you. You know, you can work your program any way you want to. That isn't what the book says. The book says, rarely have we seen a person fail who thoroughly follows our path. One path. There are those who cannot or will not. That means the smart ass and the wet brain. So if, if you decide, you know, to go back out there and drink a little bit, and if you should live through it, if you're lucky enough, and you're sitting on that curb and you're wondering which one of those you are, wet brain can't think. <laughs> now, right after that, it says that there are three conditions and one of them was talked about tonight. It says we made a decision. We had to make a decision. That's condition number one. Do we want what you have? 
condition number two. And are willing to go to any length to get it. That's condition number three. It says then you are ready to take certain steps. So if you have not filled those conditions, you may stay sober for a little while. But if the book is true, and I believe it to be true, it won't be, you know, for any great lengths. And it certainly won't be with any kind of peace of mind and happiness. I, um, as I said, I had drank myself into a living hell, and there seemed to be no way, no way out of it. But for some reason, God must have loved me an awful lot. Because you see, he bestowed the miracle on me. He sent me to you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, Sharon was the only one that I had asked prior to the meeting uh, to share, uh, being well prepared as usual. So start sweating, those of you that know me. Uh, there's a man here who I did hear speak at the Hollywood Yucca uh, Street meeting one Wednesday noon, and I'd like to ask Dan T. to come up and share with us for five minutes. Dan? Did I get the name wrong? No? Dan. Well, come on then, Vince. I know you. <laughs> He'll do anything. <laughs> My name is Vince, and I'm a grateful alcoholic. Hi, Vince. Hi, Vince. Hi, Dan. Dan T. Vince T. What the hell's the difference? <laughs> you know, I've had the opportunity to share on committees. And I think this committee's done one hell of a fine job. I've seen some speakers tonight and listened to some participation that meant an awful lot to me. I've been a member of this fellowship for almost six years, straight through without a pillar or fix or any mind-altering chemicals. And I never got the feeling that I got right up here right now, you know. Um, Frank thinks he fixed it, don't he? <laughs> I really don't know how to tell this fellowship how much it's meant to me in giving me a life which I never believed I would ever have. I came out of the fellowship, came to this fellowship not to get sober. Somebody told me that they gave free cigarettes out down there at that clubhouse. And they didn't tell me it was Alcoholics Anonymous. They just called it the Industrial Club. And they said it's down on 16th and Guerrero. And we walked there. And we got in there and they were giving out cigarettes and I was putting them in my pocket as fast as I could. And some man tapped me on the shoulders and asked me if I thought I was an alcoholic. Of course, I denied it. And uh, he says, well, then you better pick up your cigarettes and get the hell out of here before we mess up your drinking. 
he had busted me. I'd been putting them in that pocket, and there was no bottom to it. <laughs> they were all over the floor. <laughs> Still a thief. <laughs> that was my first resentment in AA. I had to stay for a whole damn meeting before I got a pack full. My second resentment was he walked me to the second meeting and it was over the hill. And he walked me to the next meeting and it was over the other hill. And he walked me to the next meeting and it was over another hill. And then he said, good night, I'll see you tomorrow at the same place at the same time. Don't drink between meetings. And for some reason I said I wouldn't. And I met him the next morning at the same place at the same time. And he didn't know that I had to sleep in that damn dumpster one more night. And I had to sleep in it for another two weeks after that. And he got me my first job. Busboy in a Denny's. He said, don't leave here no matter what. And they fired me a half an hour after he left. They said, you can't drink around here. And I cried like hell. And I said, I haven't had a drink in 30 days. I'm on ANA. And he took me in the back room and he asked me what ANA was. And I explained to him that it's a place on Guerrero Street where they give out free cigarettes and help you get a lot back into a job and get back into life and living. And he gave me my job back washing pots and pans. He fired me a couple hours later. <laughs> but, you know, I haven't had a drink since that day. And that was April the 21st. In 1975. But that wasn't all there is to this program for me. I had to learn that I couldn't take any mind-altering chemicals. I've altered my sobriety date twice. The first time because of a slip or a ouch ago. I was hip-slick and cool at a party. They said, there's a keg of beer back there. And I said, no thanks, I don't drink. They said, that's cool. That's the first time I've ever been cool in my life. <laughs> and nobody's ever called me cool before. <laughs> I got sober again. And Father Ted walked me around. And he says, all you have to do is surrender. He said, surrender is victory to the alcoholic, which sees fighting everything and everybody. And you don't have to drink or use one day at a time. And because of people like Father Ted, my sponsor who's here in the meeting tonight, and a few others. I haven't had a pill, drink, or fix in almost six years. And I thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous, for it. Thank you. I shared last night that, um, for those of you who weren't here, that I've celebrated this past March two birthdays in my life. I am... 60 years old and 25 years sober and clean in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I know that you are applauding this way of life because uh, what I brought here was what I give my credit for, myself credit for. What I am today, I owe to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, a lot of people wonder sometimes why some of those of us who have a little more sobriety are as involved as we are, and um, uh, this is a one-day-at-a-time program. The only thing different between 
the Phyllis that came in here and the Phyllis today as far as the drink is concerned is that I have 25 years of magnificent living to lose if I take a drink today and when I came in here I didn't have anything to lose it was all gone but the, our program tells us uh, and I believe that the last three steps are the steps we live by after we've completed the first night that we continue to do these things one day at a time for the rest of our lives and 12 step work is part of that and being involved with people is part of that it's like having a magnificent insurance policy that keeps us in one piece and with a good, strong surrounding one day at a time. We're not exempt from the life situations and pain. And uh, I'm taking the time to tell you this because I'm going to call a lady to the podium now that was brought into my life this past year. I uh, went through one of the most serious experiences and situations that I've had in my 25 years of sobriety. Something that just nearly ripped my insides apart. And uh, I couldn't talk about it. Uh, I didn't want sympathy. Uh, I didn't under, didn't, I, I felt like advice was not, I didn't know what I needed, but I couldn't get it out. And a little friend of mine brought this woman to me. I was at a, at a uh, had gone to a conference because when you all else fails you get with a lot of alcoholics and I was at a, in a conference and they brought this lady to me and she wasn't very well and she said I can talk to you for 10 minutes and uh, ended up we sat and talked all night long if we are where we're supposed to be God places the right people in our lives at the right time and uh, I'd like to call um, Barbara R. from Ontario up to share with you a little bit. She's a very intimate friend that I never see, but I know she's there. Barbara. Hi, I'm Barbara, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Barbara. And as you probably know, that was a nice introduction, but uh, it ended up I needed Phyllis far more than she did me, and that's the way it works here. I used to think to get up here meant that you had to have it together, and uh, <laughs> I know better now that I'm up here, <laughs> because I have been so confused since I arrived this afternoon, and so full of self-will, and so crazy that I wandered into these ladies' room, and they had a gentleman in there too, <laughs> and <clears throat> I thought I was in the hospitality room. And I said, um, is this a private party? And they were very friendly, and they said no, and I sat there for a while with them, and pretty soon I said, uh, is this a private room? <laughs> And they said, yes, I just wandered into their little suite. <laughs> so I felt funny getting up real quick, so I sat there for a little bit, and then I sort of wandered out. <laughs> I'm only supposed to be up here for a few minutes, and like most of us, my story is far too tragic to only a few minutes. So I'll start with uh, my recent sobriety. Um, a couple of months ago, I went through a little traumatic thing. I 
first I came across some money, that something that should, could never happen to me, a little bit of money, and I got to plan a trip to Germany to see my daughter and son-in-law and my grandchildren. They're in, my son-in-law's in the Air Force. And um, while I was planning this trip, which was a real crisis for me, you know, I never get further than from Ontario to Palm Springs, and I'm going to go to Germany, uh, the doctor, I started having some strange symptoms, and the doctor started doing a lot of x-raying of my bones and thought I had multiple myeloma, which is a bone cancer for which there's no cure or treatment. And um, so while I was still trying to absorb this, and I'm a nurse, and I was going through my own death and dying issues and planning my trip, uh, I got to put on a four-day workshop, which I planned all on my own. This can't happen to someone like me who came here semi-illiterate, you know. And that was another crisis, and this workshop was on crisis, you know, so I could really use myself as an example. And um, just before I left, I found out that uh, I did not have it. The tests were negative. And um, so I arrived on that plane and got off that plane with jet lag, of course, 12 hours later, and my daughter greeted me with uh, flowers and many, many tears. Now, my daughter and I had only seen each other a couple of times very fleetingly in the last 13 years, and uh, she spent a day crying, and the following day uh, I ended up out on the street. And I found out I was there for something other than a vacation. There was some long overdue amends. See, I put my life together and assumed that made it okay, and I had not dealt with some things in my life, and the big book talks about that. You know, more will be revealed when we're ready to deal with it. And I ended up in this strange country where I couldn't count the money, use the telephones, find AA. Um, I couldn't do much of anything, and I was out on my own. I did eventually find AA, thank God. My, first, my only thought was that my heart was beating so rapidly I was going to have a heart attack, and that um, maybe it was a mistake about Columbus. I thought the world really was flat, and I was going to fall off, and I wasn't sure God was in Germany, too. Turned out after about a week when I did finally give in to this program, after I started smoking again, I gave in to this program, uh, everything turned out really wonderful, and I spent three wonderful weeks there. And now I'm planning to go back. I'm selling my house, and I'm going to go back for a year. And that's a big step for me. And I've been going through a lot of separation issues with people, and I found I've been a regular ass. I don't think we're not supposed to use that up here, are we? I've been really bad since I've been here, and I think what it is is that I'm having a lot of difficulty separating from people here. I have a lot of people here I love, and family and friends, and so, you know, so much I never had before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's really hard. I want to do this thing, and, and it's a great thing, and I know that I, today that I am capable of making those changes, and I'm capable of going someplace new and fitting myself to what I find there. But I'm having a really hard time letting go. And being at this roundup, you know, there's so many memories here for me. And so I've sort of withdrawn and not been a part of it. And I run to Phyllis, and she said, Sh come up and share. And, and I think that's helping me already. And I just want to tell you a little bit about, um, I know it's helping me already. I want to tell you a little bit about Germany very rapidly. Um, they had their fifth AA roundup while I was there. And altogether, they had 300 people. And they were so excited. And they were from all over Europe. And I was able to attend that. I didn't know when I went there that that was going to happen at that time. And it was a very touching thing. Altogether, they counted up 300 years of sobriety. And they were just 
amazed at this. You know, most of the sobriety was pretty new. It's military and transient. Uh, two years is an old-timer. And these, uh, uh, they had representatives from all over Europe, and they had somebody there from Poland from behind the curtain who didn't speak English, and they had to have an interpreter. And he talked about the fact that there's 400 members of AA behind the Iron Curtain and that they have four AA meetings. And he was requesting literature in English because that's the least suspect language and it could be translated by one of the members. And you talk about going to any length. And I thought about at home how I have a meeting a mile away from me twice a day. And many times I've said, I don't want to go down there and hear that. I know what everybody's going to say there. I've been in that meeting so many times. And when I had to really go to any lengths to get to meetings there and heard these people who had to go much further than I did for their sobriety, it really changed my attitude. I just want to briefly mention one other thing. I come from a long line of alcoholics. Alcoholism has just about wiped out my family. Uh, Four out of my three kids are drunks. I had one child, I was, son I was extremely worried about. Turns out he's the only normsy in the family. We all thought he was a little weird. And um, my, when my father died of alcoholism, he was in the county hospital, and my uncle, his brother, was going in to, to visit him. And he never made it in the room. He hemorrhaged to death in the hallway of alcoholism. And my brother and I he headed for the funeral for my father, and we stopped in a bar to have a drink, of course, you know, the normal thing to do. And we were both well into alcoholism at the time, and we didn't know it. And one of us looked at the other one and said, you know what killed the old man, don't you? And the other one said, yeah, booze. And we promptly patted each other on the back and said, if we ever got that bad, we'd knock it off. I've come to learn that is the disease of alcoholism. In my mind, is an example of what an alcoholic is. And when I reach that, I find a new example and that's the way it has always been for me, but I didn't know that. I'm mentioning this brother because at one point in my sobriety, I got almost perfect. I wasn't uh, drinking. I wasn't smoking. I had become a nurse. I got educated. And I was just almost perfect, and I was going to impress this brother. And uh, uh, I was trying to tell him all about AA, and I was going to sober him up. And he was drinking, and while I was telling him all these good things about myself, I reached for a donut, and he slapped my hand and said, you're too fat, you don't need that. So, so much for how much I've learned I'm going to impress anybody. This brother called me, I think it was about two years ago, and I said, ah, oh, at last he wants this program. He wants what I have to offer. He had fallen off of a cliff, a 10-foot cliff onto his head, and fractured his jaw, and his teeth were wired shut, and he broke several bones. And I went traipsing out to Westwood and to the hospital. And when I got there, I found out what he wanted from me was to know, how do you continue to drink with your teeth wired shut? Because he knew I was experienced, because <laughs> I had always also had that experience. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I finally have learned that I don't impress anybody. I don't get anybody sober. I don't get anybody drunk. And... Uh, this brother, since I've gotten back from Germany, I just discovered uh, on his own, is sober nine months, and I think he may be here. Uh, he told one of my sons he was going to be here, and I don't know if he's here or not, but um, it didn't have anything to do with me, and it makes me know all the more that there is a higher power, and um, that's all I have to share. Thank you. Thank you. Patty? 
Patty H. I'm Patty Hicks, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Patty. Hi, Patty. And I'm very glad to be here. I'm uh, so impressed with everything I've heard at this roundup. Uh, I've heard a lot of things that I want. I heard Phyllis say last night she was 60 years old and 25 years sober, and I thought, yeah, I want to look like that and be 25 years sober. And uh, I heard Don tonight, and I've heard Don many times, and so many good things from Sharon and from everyone that shared tonight. Ruth S. and I were up here thanking Don at the end of his talk, and I said, Ruthie, this is as close as you and I are ever going to get to this podium, unless they let us pick up the cups and ashtrays, you know. And uh, lo and behold, I'm standing here. This has been uh, probably the, the best and most exciting year of my sobriety. And uh, Sharon said something about being 10 years sober and uh, not thinking she was ever going to have 10 months, you know. And when I was 10 and a half years sober, I had cancer surgery. And it was very difficult. It was very hard because I didn't want to believe it was happening, and it happened. And I remember thinking, you know, I've had 10 and a half years, and there are some people that won't see 10 and a half months. And there are some people that will never see this Palm Springs Roundup and they're going to miss the best and biggest journey of their life. Uh, like uh, one of your other speakers talked about getting married all the time. That's my other disease. <laughs> and uh, Phyllis's husband mentioned how good the gals look in the bar at five minutes of two. I looked fabulous at five minutes of two. <laughs> and I met a lot of guys like him. Plus, when I met him, his name was Honey. <laughs> and his name was Honey. And his name was Honey, you know. And uh, I wasn't a bad girl. I didn't go home with them because I was a bad girl. I went home with them because I loved them. <laughs> and I went home with them because I was lonely. And it took every bit of that, and it took every bit of the laughter, and every bit of the tears, and every bit of the sorrows to get here at Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm not sorry for any of it. And I'm glad that we're able to share it from our hearts and from our guts with each other and let you know that no matter where you come from, no matter what you've been, all anybody cares is what you're going to be from now on. And there isn't any goal that's too great to reach in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never had it so good. I've never felt so young. I've never felt so happy. I've never been so joyous and free, and I owe everything I am today to Alcoholics Anonymous and people like you, and I love this program. Thank you, Frank. Uh, thank you. I just think it's a fantastic meeting. Me too. 